The series is called First Things, Priorities of a Good Life. Today, the priority of hospitality. Can you believe that? Hospitality. You know, I think, I think the um, pandemic has made everybody get into home improvement mode. Every time I go to Lowe's, the place is mobbed. So home improvement and gardening. That's what I'm hearing. Everybody's doing some home improvement and gardening. Now, we've got a little garden. When I look out there, it's pretty easy to see what's growing and what isn't. And it's kind of sad when you're seeing something that is standing right next to another plant. Why is one growing and the other isn't? Today, we're going to be talking about how people are a little like plants. You can tell by certain measures whether people are growing. When people are growing, they're vibrant, they're engaged, they're excited, they're curious, they ask questions, they interact with people, they want to know more. What keeps us growing? How does God use hospitality to keep us growing? Answer, he gets us outside of ourselves. From the Word of God, Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Hear God's Word this morning. On the Sabbath, when he was to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold... There was a man before him who had dropsy, really a sort of edema, like, like a water, water gain in your, in your limbs and in your skin. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you, invited you both, will come and say to you, give your place to this person. <laughs> then you will begin to have shame and take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but who, he who humbles himself will be exalted. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. God bless us now through this word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to believe it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Recently, a friend of mine quoted Mark Twain who said, the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. Now, when I think of hospitality, and I already sort of cringed when I said it the first time because I'm, I'm thinking of you out there going, hospitality? I mean, I, the first thing I think of when I think of hospitality is like a mint on the pillow or, uh, or maybe a tent at a, at a golf tournament. Hospitality? How can hospitality really change us? How can hospitality keep us growing? 
how can hospitality get us outside of ourselves? Well, what I think you're going to see is that this word hospitality is bigger than we've made it. it it's lightning that has become a lightning bug because we've disassociated it with its original meaning. In its original meaning, uh, lightning has uh, this lightning of hospitality describes the leadership. It describes a leader of the church. It describes the requirements for leadership. It describes Jesus' very lifestyle. In one place in Hebrews, uh, it says that some of you in showing hospitality have entertained angels unaware. You ever think about the fact that you may, by, um, by, by humbling yourself to help somebody in need, may have entertained an angel unaware? There's lightning in this word. And so let's take a look at how hospitality keeps us growing by looking at what it is, what it does, and how it helps. First, what is it? What is hospitality, really? Hospitality is the love of a stranger. The original word is just simply love, and the second part of the word is stranger, loving strangers. Getting us outside, God gets us outside of ourselves by getting us our focus out, off of ourselves. I want to tell you just this little image of a George MacDonald, who was a, a writer 100, 150, 200 years ago. C.S. Lewis re, re, refers to George MacDonald as his master. He read George MacDonald's fiction, and it was so powerfully imaginative to him. And it, it took great concepts, and it, it put it into images. And one of the images I want to show you is, a, is, is out of this book by George MacDonald, the original figure is, is or the, the central figure is, is Curdy. And Curdy has the ability to see what people are becoming by putting his hand on their, on their arm. He can put his hand on his arm, and when he does, when he puts his hand on their arm, he can see what they're becoming. This is how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, you've never met a mere mortal. You've never met a mere mortal. People are becoming eternal horrors or everlasting splendors. You and I are in the process of becoming. What are we becoming? What are we becoming? That's why Jesus is so compassionate by confronting the status quo of the religion of the time, the religious leaders of the time. He's talking to these guys, and did you notice that it says they're watching him carefully? The religious leaders and the, the, the lawyers, they're watching him carefully. Oh, he should be intimidated, I guess. The God of the universe in human flesh is being watched. You know, I picture in this scene, I picture those two guys in the Muppets. The Muppet show, you know, the two guys in the balcony. You know, they're always sort of, they're, they're the, patron, the patrons of the arts, right? And they're always sort of making comments. Uh, you know, it's sort of like uh, they, they say, uh, one time they said, uh, that was terrible. Yeah, it was just awful. Well, I guess parts of it weren't so bad. Oh, you know what? It was, actually, I kind of liked it. Yeah, yeah, bravo, bravo. I mean, they don't know what they're talking about. You know, they don't take any risks. They're not out there. They're not, they're not on stage. They're not performing. You know, sometimes when, they, when, when people uh, come to worship or they leave a worship service, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering, have they experienced lightning or a lightning bug? I'm wondering, are people, are people saying, you know, that wasn't so bad. It could, used, it could have used a, a little bit more cumin, right? 
uh, I kind of liked it. I liked the smells and I liked the sounds. and I liked some of it and I didn't like other parts of it. And Jesus is confronting that religiosity that's dead. It's not what it's not what you received for wor from worship. It's what you bring to it a lot of times that really matters. And what he's saying is all of life is worship. He's juxtaposing this, this person in need with this idea of religion and worship that is completely divorced from the rest of life. He's calling it out. And what he's saying is, look, your religion isn't making you better. It's a, your religion isn't doing anything, anything for you. Your religion is completely disconnected from the rest of your life. And what he's saying is this. Look, you only love as much as the one you love the least. See, if, if you're trying to love God, and if that's the point and purpose of faith... How do you love somebody right in front of you who has a need? You only love as much as the one you love least. Well, we, we try to measure uh, the, the, the highest ideals of, of human life. You put the word love on it, for example, and we try to measure it in terms of the love we show for the ones we love most. But he's saying that there is the least of these in each one of us. There are gaps in each one of us. There are conditions in each one of us. The conditions of the love that we have for anyone, even the person who's most important to us, show up in the way we treat the least of these. You know, it's, it's not bad advice when you're, you're talking to a young girl who's trying to, to measure whether the, the character of a suitor, of somebody who's courting her, of somebody maybe she's thinking about dating more seriously. It's not bad advice to say, how does, how does that young man treat the server at the table? How does he treat the stranger, the clerk, the shadow people, the person who's just sort of checking you out? How does, how does he treat the least person in the day? You know, a lot of times we wonder, who is someone when, they're, when no one's looking? Who are you when no one's watching? Who is that person when no one's watching? You know, a great indication is the way you treat the least of these. See, that's what hospitality is. It's an outward sign of inward grace. An outward sign of inward grace. It's the love for the stranger. The love for the least and the last and the lost is an outward sign of inward grace. That's what it is. So that's what hospitality is. What does it do? What does hospitality do? Well, it makes us better instead of better than. That's what hospitality does. It makes us better instead of better than. How? By calling us out of ourselves. By getting us, our attention, our focus off of ourselves. Uh, some years ago, I took a couple hundred guys through a, um, a series by Robert Lewis called The Quest for Authentic Manhood. And uh, on the front end of this, I was getting notes from women. I was getting... Um, messages indirectly through through wives that I was um, I w they were annoyed with me because I was taking them away from breakfast once a week or I was taking them out of the, the you know helping them with um, 
you know, with, with getting the kids ready for school and all of the support at home, that they were annoyed with me for creating this program that took them out of the house early. And, um, and at the end of the program, I got some notes and I got some phone calls and I heard indirectly that they were really happy that that happened because they, they said that their husbands uh, were coming back better. Now, this isn't any credit to me. I wasn't teaching. I wasn't even leading the groups. Uh, they were being called outside of themselves to, to process outwardly a little bit of the gospel with people that they were being called to trust. And as a result, uh, the gospel was getting in where it really hadn't been. And they were being called out of themselves in a little measure and so they were becoming more available to some men around the table and you know what they were going back to their their families a little bit more available they were going back to their fam families a little bit better not better than but better just because they were being called out out of themselves and Jesus is calling these religious leaders and lawyers and people watching this whole scene unfold. He's calling them out of themselves a little bit in order to get them better. How does he do this? Look, look back at the passage where he says, you know, which of you, he asked him a question, you know, is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And what does he get back? Silence, right? It's kind of a, in a way he's, he's, he's setting a, a, a holy trap for them because what he's trying to trap is the way they're lying to themselves about the kind of religion they have, about whether or not they really are following God, loving God, loving their fellow man. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Here's this man that, that has this problem, this edema, and provides for a, a powerful God in human flesh, an illustration of compassion that knits together outward faith and inward faith. It knits together mission and worship. You see, he's juxtaposing these two things on purpose to call out the authenticity of each one of them. We love things in little boxes. We like mission over there. We like worship over here. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then he, then he asks him another question. He says, which of you, if, if you had an, a son who fell into the, a well on your property, wouldn't try to help him out on the Sabbath? And then he twists that dagger. He twists it. You see how brilliant this is? Watch this. Watch this. He says, or an oxen. Here's this man, a human being, someone made in the image and nature of God, in need, right before them. And they're looking at him in silence. Their faith says nothing to the need of this man. It's a disconnect, an unholy disconnect because they're holier than thou. They're not getting better. They're getting better than. They're not interested in being called out. They're interested in growing inward, getting ingrown. Their faith had grown ingrown. They're not listening to the needs around them. They're not listening to the people around them. They're not processing things. They're, they're developing blind spots. They're becoming ingrown. And what Jesus is doing is 
He's simply just calling them outward. And he's calling them out. You know, in that idiom that means he's kind of calling them out. In fact, he's doing it so subtly and so brilliantly because he's just speaking to their own experience. He's, he's making them picture in their minds them on their own property and they're picturing a well and they're watching their son, you know, helpless down there, you know, just sort of treading water. Of course they're going to help him out. And then he's saying, an oxen? Would you, would you see what Jesus is, is doing here? He's saying, there are people around us that we're ignoring. He's getting into their experience and he's saying, you treat your own livestock better than some people around you. What does that say about your faith? What does that say about whether you're growing? What does that say about whether your religion is doing you any good? What he's saying is, you, you don't have a God. You've got a pet rock. Remember the old pet rock? Pet rock, you know, you'd sit it on the table and then you'd put your hand next to it and say, watch my pet rock move. And you'd move your hand and the pet rock wouldn't move, of course, but you would pretend like the pet rock was alive. That's the kind of religion that these people have. They're stuck. They're in status quo mode. It's like, this God just does whatever we want when we want him, want him to do it because we've got everything all categorized and neat. And Jesus is coming in in a holy way to mess up that status quo. He's saying, you know, there, there, there shouldn't be such a great divide between your mission and your worship because you only love as much as the one you love the least. And so how are you treating the least of these and what does that say about your faith? And what does it do for you? What does it do for you to be called out to engage with people like that, to engage with the messiness of life, the messiness of people's lives around them, the way that ironically Jesus is demonstrating right here for us. In Philippians chapter 2, he, it says Jesus didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, holiness to be grasped. But he humbled himself. You see, this anticipates the parable of the rest of the, uh, of the passage here. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Jesus humbles himself, takes on the nature of a servant. Right? Well, that's what he's saying, makes us better. Now, I, I, I want to pause here and give you time to think about that. What he's saying is that engaging in the messiness of the lives around us, getting outside yourself, makes us better. Instead of being better than, instead of using religion and First Presbyterian Church to reinforce a social structure that makes us feel better about ourselves, the gospel calls us out into places that make us uncomfortable so that we can't be holier than thou anymore but we need to become holier, set apart, not set above. So what does hospitality do? The love of the stranger, the love of the outward, the love of the person who need, the last, the least, and the lost. What does it do? It makes it better, not better than. And finally, how does it help? How does hospitality help? How does it help us first? Well, you see, the farther out we're called into the difficulties 
of a world in need, the farther in we'll see the need for the gospel in us. When you're called farther out, only by being called farther out, will we see the greater inward need. You see that? You see that? We, we insulate ourselves sometimes from the world in need. And when we see those needs and we scratch our heads and we wonder, how do we deal with that? It drives us back to the gospel saying, something in me is missing. If I can't address or redress this issue, if I am scratching my head over why the world is suddenly up in flames, maybe there's something missing in me. Maybe there is something the gospel needs to do in me to help me see the need with different eyes. <laughs> we need different eyes sometimes because we don't even see our own blind spots. You know, Jeff Eckert, who, uh, who wrote this, uh, I'm sorry, not Jeff Eckert, uh, Steve Corbett, uh, and, uh, wrote this book called um, When Helping Hurts. And he tells a story in that book about uh, this uh, church that sent a group down to down to uh, South America, uh, Brazil or, or, or um, Peru. I'm not sure which country, but they were, they were down there. They were in the airport. They all had these T-shirts on. And on the back of the T-shirt, in Spanish or in Portuguese, whatever the, they spoke in the country, it said this. Here for the least of these. Here for the least of these. And you kind of want to say to the group, Hey, these people can read, right? It's like, you know, you're walking around with this shirt on that says, here for the least of these, here are these Americans. Pretty obvious that you're Americans. Pretty obvious you've got this big group of, of uh, Anglos coming down to our country, and you're wearing these sh shirts that say, here for the least of these? I guess that's me. I live here, right? You're here for me, and I'm the least of these? What a blind spot. Uh, it meant well. Right? The difference between intent and impact is huge sometimes, right? They intended well, but what a blind spot. They needed, to, they needed to go on that mission trip to see the great disconnect between their intent and their impact. Here for the least of these. I think a lot of, a lot of people are wondering, what happened last week? I mean, not just like, we, we all were heartbroken uh, uh, in different ways about what we saw uh, to George, happened to George Floyd about the man in, in Minnesota who, who was killed in police custody. And we're all heartbroken about that. But then I think a lot of people are scratching their heads. Why did, why did everything blow up? What, what happened there? What, what, why these riots? Martin Luther King Jr. said this, not condoning riots. Now listen, now some of you are really going to be turned off by, by this quotation, but listen. And then I'm going to illustrate it. I'm going to show you what's happening here. Because we're blind to this. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Riots are the language of the unheard. Rioting is the language of the unheard. He went on to, to say he didn't condone it because it's destructive. It's violent. It hurts people. He's, he didn't condone it, but he's saying, look, it's saying something we need to pay attention to in order to avoid it in the future. Riots are the language of the unheard. Let me illustrate. We've all had this experience where 
uh, suddenly there's a conflict, there's an argument. And the other person blows up and you think, gosh, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. I mean, how did this escalate so quickly? How did this person get so upset so quickly? And you know what it is? They were unheard. Time and time again. Now, they have some responsibility in this. The other person does. They stuffed it. They shouldn't have stuffed it. They should have brought it up with courage instead of with anger, right? See, that's what we do sometimes. We think, well, I'm just going to overlook it, but we don't really. I'm just going to forgive it, but we don't really. And then we wait for anger to bring it out. And it all comes out ugly instead of coming out more proactively and constructively. That's what happened last week. That's what happened. There's a conversation we're not having with people in need around us. They're unheard. Now, do they have some responsibility? Of course, we all do. We all need to take our own responsibility. But, but what, is, what are we not seeing? And here's what Jesus is getting at with this passage. Are you willing to, to be challenged and grown? Are you continuing to grow in your faith enough that you're not just going to be react to this and say, can't believe these people are doing this and burning these stores down? We're just going to use that as an excuse not to see what we need to see and not to hear. Are you willing to see the need? Are you willing to listen to what's going on? Am I willing? This has been a very challenging week for me. I've had to read this passage, and also reflect on what's going on. Makes me uncomfortable too. I've had some conversations with African-American pastors that I've grown to, have grown to be very good friends of mine. Really uncomfortable conversations. And they're taking huge risks with our friendship. And I thank them for it. Because it calls me out of my status quo, out of my perspective. I know I'm, I'm talking, I'm sort of talking like I'm really upset. I'm just animated about it, okay? I just, this is important to us, people. This is the moment. This is our moment to, to see what we're not seeing. You see, Jesus is, is, is engaging somebody with a need that is kind of disgusting. I mean, they're looking at this guy and they're saying, oh, he's got edema. I mean, Gross, he's probably infected. I mean, get away from me, right? What's wrong with you? But he's, he's going towards that problem rather than running away from it. And he's showing us that that's where we grow. That's the place where we're challenged. That's where we're stretched. That's where we get, yes, uncomfortable, but that's also where, where God begins to challenge those places that, that are so blind. There's places we don't want to see. And how does it help? It helps us grow. And you know what happens? You know what happens when we grow? When people see us grow and engage in places where we're uncomfortable? It brings the kingdom of God near. You know, I keep thinking about, I've been thinking about this all week, about how, um, how um, I think it's the angel Michael or Gabriel, I, I should have gone back and looked it up, but it's either a, uh, the angel M Michael or Gabriel, he's talking to, to, to Joseph and he's saying to him, I am in the presence of God. Well, how can be in the presence of God, but also in the presence of Joseph? You see, when Jesus says to, to, to this lawyer, he says, you know, the greatest command, the sum of the command is to love God and love others. And he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What's he saying? What's he saying to these religious leaders and these lawyers? He's saying, look, 
when you engage with the last, least, and lost in a way that you identify with them, don't wear the, just wear the t-shirt that I'm here for you, but tr truly identify with them, guess what? You bring the kingdom closer. You bring the presence of God into the moment. How are you going to bring the presence of God into the moment that we're in? How is First Presbyterian Church, Thomasville, Georgia, going to bring the presence of God and the, the fragrance of the kingdom into Thomasville? Because we're identifying with people that we don't normally identify with. Because we're listening. Because we're open to some things we that make us uncomfortable, that we, we don't want to hear. And as a result, we grow. We, we grow bigger. Our, our sight and our vision, uh, beyond the footlamp that lets us see just a, a couple of steps down the path, we begin to see farther down the path of what we're called to be and called to do in this moment. I keep thinking about this book called Dominion by Tom Holland. Uh, and this will illustrate what I mean by how uh, hospitality or being called out into the lives of strangers, like the Good Samaritan, how it helps. It, it, this is going to illustrate what I'm talking about. Is This book by Tom Holland. Tom is an historian in Great Britain, and he grew up fascinated by uh, dinosaurs and, and by ancient history and, and uh, Leonidas and and all of the great kings of history. And he began to look more closely at their lives and at the, at the pattern. And you know what? He, he kept seeing the same pattern. And you know what the pattern was? The strong eat the weak. The strong over the weak. And began to be disgusted by that human pattern. And then he realized, and he wasn't a professing Christian at the time, he realized that history turned and it pivoted with Jesus Christ. And he began to realize through his study of history itself, he began to realize, and he says it in this podcast. You know, Max Beverly sent me, sent me this, this podcast of Tom Holland in an interview and he said, you know what? And he's speaking to a really good friend of his who's an atheist. And he said, you know what? I realized in studying the life of Christ and studying what happened to history after Jesus walked, after Jesus' life of hospitality, of being, of engaging far from his kingdom into our broken world. He said, you know what I realized? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. He identified with Christianity. He wanted to identify with Christianity. He wanted to identify with a movement that was outward. He wanted to identify with a movement that engaged the last, the least, and the lost. That, that, that looked at slavery and said, this is wrong. That looked at the dashing of infants because they came into this world at an inconvenient time. At the dashing of infants on rocks so prevalent in the Roman kingdom and transformed by the gospel that kind of attitude towards human life where you look at somebody as less than, right? Just because they have a rap sheet or because of the color of their skin, because they, you know, they, they came out of prison or because they're addicted to drugs or because they're a prostitute or because they have edema. 
and we see two different sets of people. And what Tom Holland is recognizing is the life of Christ wasn't just a model of good behavior. It wasn't just an example to follow, but that there's a power, there's a lightning bolt that struck human life and brought power to pivot, brought power to be different, brought the challenge and the call to love the least of these because the quality of our love rides upon not those who can do well for us or that we feel the most loving towards. We only love as much as the one we love the least. And so you see this this word hospitality that seems like a mint on the pillow when you first look at it or the the tent where you get a cool towel and a drink. It's bigger than that. It's to be called out of yourself so that you can, you can begin to walk in his ways like the Good Samaritan. So you can see that you're becoming something, either an everlasting horror or an eternal splendor, so that, so that you can become better and not just go through life just trying to be better than. And so that you can, in being called farther out, can see the greater need for the gospel to move farther in. Sir Isaac Watts, in his one of the great hymns of the church, said this, Blessings abound where'er he reigns. The prisoners leap to lose their chains. The weary find eternal rest. And all who suffer want are blessed. Is the kingdom near wherever you go? Let's pray together. Holy God, set us apart and not above. Make us holy because you're holy. Not people who are better than, but getting better. Growing more and more in the likeness of Christ. That our love for one another may be seen. And that our love for the last and least and lost would be experienced as an elevating kind of love, not a condescending one. And that as a result, Lord, you'd keep growing us and stretching us. In Jesus' name, amen.